Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Breaking, also known as break dancing, is a hip-hop dance born out of the Bronx in the 70s and 80s. It's made a comeback and could be featured on the Olympic stage. In June, the International Olympic Committee voted in favor of a proposal that could bring breaking to the 2024 Summer Games in Paris. Coming up, we'll talk about that and more with local hip-hop artist John Mansell Young, better known as Tank Sauce. He'll join us in studio. And we'll flip back to the history of breaking in Connecticut with Tim Wolfe, former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars, a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut. Were you a B-boy or B-girl back then, or do you break dance today? You can join the conversation. That's later. First, how's the arts scene doing in Connecticut? A study surveyed the greater Hartford region. Are you part of the arts community? How can the state better support you? You can join the conversation. I want to welcome into the studio Jackie Coleman. She's Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lucy. Glad to be here. I mentioned this study looking at a greater Hartford. Uh, why focus in on the arts? The Hartford Foundation uh, supports uh, many different initiatives in our state. Well, the arts and culture sector is an important part of a vibrant community, and the Hartford Foundation is interested in the whole community, um, and my background is actually in the arts, even though I, I entered into my work at the Hartford Foundation through education. And so tell us more about uh, what you were trying to learn uh, from the study. Who did you partner with to get the information? We partnered with the Connecticut Office of the Arts, which is out of the Department of Economic and Community Development. Uh, they had a, an initiative that they, they have an initiative called the Ready Initiative. Uh, I believe it's really framing their equity work. And they approached the Harper Foundation and said, gee, we'd love to find out some data about our arts ecosystem. And we were right at that time about to launch our new strategic planning process. And we said, well, you know, we'd love to find out here at the Hartford Foundation some mm-hmm. some further data as well. So we began to talk and then put together an RFP, and we have worked with um, TDC out of Massachusetts to to do the study, and we found out some, some really important things. You mentioned the arts ecosystem. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Who's part of that? I would say that is, both fi- obviously, the funders are a part of that because it's, you know, important to understand the fiscal health of arts organizations. And obviously, that's the Hartford Foundation's interest. Um, all of the arts organizations, small, medium, large, and independent artists and creatives. I think that's a, a something I've learned is a new new term out in the field. And I, I think also even some of the um, for-profit arts organizations that have started to pop up now um, in this day and age. So it's, it's, and it's also our community, frankly. It's, you know, if, if audiences aren't going and enjoying and partaking in the arts, then there is no ecosystem. When we think about arts organizations that get support, uh, we think about uh, museums, um, also like the Wadsworth, mm-hmm. uh, New Britain Museum of American Art. We think of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra, but you also mentioned community organizations. Absolutely. And often they are overlooked when it comes to funding. Yes. Well, in the, you know what's really interesting is we did actually ask TDC to do a breakout for us to look at um, the, the, difference, the different middle size organizations, small organizations. We asked them to look at 
by art form. Uh, also, are they considered a community cultural organization? And and so we're we're trying to take a look, you know, at all of that data and have some conversations and see how the Hartford Foundation might be able to make some shifts in our investment strategy to to kind of strengthen the sector. Mm. And how diverse is uh, the landscape, so to speak, in the Greater Hartford area? Uh, well, it, we discovered that there actually uh, is a real shortage of Latinx presence, uh, both in, I would say, performers, presenters, artists, but also um, in the uh, administration level, in the leadership level. Uh, actually, all artists of color seem to be underrepresented based on the population. They seem to be there in the organizations, but not at the higher levels and not at the board level. And actually, the Hartford Foundation is interested in doing something about that. We're looking at developing a fellowship uh, to really nurture some uh, some administrators of color in arts organizations, um, and then potentially also doing some fellowships for artists of color in the greater Hartford region. Mm-hmm. Is it surprising in, in 2019 uh, that representation, uh, oh, when you mentioned uh, Latinx and, and other people of color uh, mm-hmm. not being represented you know, it, yes and no, because yes, it, it surprises me because I, I, we were talking before. I live in Manchester, and I am very thrilled with the diversity of Manchester, and I, I love that community and feel very integrated there. At the same time, uh, it, it, it there are still many systemic issues, I think, in all sectors, and including in the arts and culture sector. And I think it's important for us to take a look at that. And the Hartford Foundation has framed our entire strategic plan around race, place, and income. So how could we do that and not take a look at what's going on around race, place, and income in our um, in our arts ecosystem? You can join our conversation. I'm speaking with Jackie Coleman, Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. We're talking about a recent study looking at uh, the arts in the greater Hartford region. If you're part of that community, if you want to chime in about ways uh, your community, uh, the state can better support you, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, I mentioned uh, we were talking about gaps. We looked at, uh, talked briefly about diversity, but tell us more about what the study found. Well, the study found um, not only in the diversity, and I actually want to go back to that for one second because I did want to actually mention and let the listeners know that the Hartford Foundation is very interested in finding out about what we can do about this the, the, the seemingly shortage of Latinx artists and, and leaders of color, um, and artists of color in general, frankly, across all of the art forms. So we actually are planning on convening artists of color in the community to have a conversation, to, to look at some of the data and to say, you know, what do you think? Where, what, what's missing? What do you not have? What do you need to, to make the sector more vibrant and more inclusive? Uh, so and then in terms of other things that the Hartford Foundation discovered through our uh, our study was actually that dance um, was really underrepresented in our community. And that has spurned some conversations. Gee, what does that mean? Are we talking about our people not participating, like being dancers in, you know, in participatory ways? Or are they not going to see dance? Um, are we talking about all forms of dance? How did this, you know, is the study really inclusive of what's going on um, in, in like the Puerto Rican community? You mentioned the Puerto Rican community. The, the, that's a, that community dances like part of their their nature. So, um, and we have such a rich uh, Latinx community in the Hartford region. So I think we're very curious why this came out in the study and what we can do about it. 
Uh, does a location play a part in this? I mean, is this something I mentioned, uh, you know, looking back uh, over the years and looking at our population changing? Uh, we're in between New York and Boston mm-hmm. uh, where they have uh, great institutions that get lots of support. Does that play a, a role in uh, where we see the arts community today and what's being funded and not? Well, in our study, we actually did ask TDC to look at comparable cities of our size, of Hartford, and we are actually doing well comparatively across, you know, to those cities. Uh, I think there's definitely some truth to the being between Boston and Hart, I mean, Boston and New York. Uh, at the same time, we, we have a rich, diverse population here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's our community that we want to serve. And it's our community that I believe arts and culture should be at the center, not the center of, I believe it should be at the center of, but a big part of, you know, like for, for health, for wellness, for caring about your community. We have um, outcomes in our new strategic plan around reducing gun violence. I believe the arts and culture sector can make a difference with that. And so does the Harford Foundation. Uh, we're looking at some investments in the arts and culture sector that can reduce gun violence and potentially um, <clears throat> reduce recidivism. Uh, we talked about um, how creative placemaking and how can we use the arts and culture to lift our neighborhoods here in, in Hartford, mm-hmm. things like that. Let's talk more about uh, next steps, and we're going to link to this report on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Uh, you mentioned reaching out to uh, communities of color, uh, being very uh, uh, direct in that. But what mm-hmm. about some other steps uh, from what you've uh, found out in this study? I think um, I'm particularly interested in, in learning more about our dance sector. So I think perhaps the Harford Foundation would would be interested in convening some dance sector folks at some point. I think in general the we have convening is one of our tools and I do believe the Harford Foundation will want to convene not only artists of color but in different ways other groups of artists as well. And there's a couple of things that we're thinking about at the Harford Foundation connected to our strategic plan. Uh, we're thinking about like I said the creative placemaking, we're thinking we've learned a lot about arts incubators across the country and we're thinking what's going on here? Uh, we've heard that there's some issue with space and finding shared space or uh, rehearsal space, office space, um, potential issues with not having enough funding for marketing. So maybe that's influencing the um, the audience, you know, audiences knowing about what's really happening. So we're talking to some some folks about that. Uh, we're, we're also interested in restorative arts practices uh, and potentially bringing in um, some, some experts in that that can prepare our local artists if they're interested to work with, with our young people who have experienced a lot of violence or potentially have parents that are incarcerated. Um, and, you know, quality arts instruction. I'm a big advocate of of the value of quality arts instruction. And there's so many models across the country. The Mosaic model for youth development through the arts in Detroit. Uh, there's some really great stuff in Cleveland that's happening out of school time in urban centers, uh, really showing how when you're giving young people the opportunity to engage in arts, they're making a big difference in their community. Well, Jackie Coleman, thank you so much for coming in today here on Where We Live. She's Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, Nice to speak with you, Jackie. Thank you so much. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we talk about breaking, better known as breakdancing. You could see it in the Summer Olympics in 2024. There's a possibility there. And after the break, we'll talk about the origins of breaking in the Bronx and its influence on young people in Connecticut. Were you a B-boy or B-girl? Join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
flavor is known. You can't be Jack Bone, not a soprano. My voice is more a mellow tone. Suckers will flake. Cannot participate in the contest. Give me the trophy. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Did you hear the Summer Olympics in 2024 may include breaking as an Olympic sport? known as break dancing. I mentioned that vote uh, was uh, in June, but again, that final decision uh, by the Olympic Committee won't happen until another year. But back in the day, were you a B-boy or B-girl? Do you break today? You can join our conversation. Uh, we just heard from the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, uh, hearing that uh, dance is on the decline uh, in the state in terms of, of organizations that support it. And we wanted to talk more about dance, specifically breaking. For more on the evolution of this hip-hop dance, joining me now in studio is Tim Wolf. He's former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars, a dance group based in Hartford back in the 1980s. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Also here with me is John Mansell Young, also known as Tang Sauce. He's a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip-hop artist. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Tang. Thank you for having me. So let's uh, back up and go back a little bit uh, to uh, Breaking in Connecticut. Uh, let's first learn a little bit more about Peace Train. Tim, tell us, what was it? So Peace Train was a community arts organization. It started out the dream of uh, one rather creative, eccentric guy named Paul LeMay who bought an old school bus and converted it to look like a red caboose. And it literally looked like a red caboose driving down the highway. Um, and uh, he started putting on music events in public parks and housing projects and senior centers and any place he could bring music. And he brought it places for free, struggled for a few years to get funding, and also uh, brought the New England Fiddle Contest to Hartford, Connecticut. And that became kind of a legend in uh, Bushnell Park events. Uh, growing over the course of about six years to drawing uh, an audience of 80,000 people who just listened to the same fiddle tune played by different people for a full day. Uh, it sort of boggles the imagination, but uh, I was there. It happened. Um, and that organization, which was a real uh, vital part of sort of Hartford summer life, um, there's nobody who lived in who was a Hartford resident um, in those days, and I'm talking the late 70s or from the mid-70s to the mid-80s, uh, was unaware of the Red Caboose and um, what it did in not only bringing music to all the neighborhoods for free, but also employing local artists and bands um, uh, to do those concerts and performances. It was so successful, the city of New Haven contracted us to uh, provide uh, concerts in their parks and in some of the early iterations of music on the New Haven Green. Were uh, you a Hartford resident back then? How'd you get uh, involved in Peace Train? Well, I got involved when I was a high school student. I had this, I built kites and I was passionate about it. And I went to the Knox Foundation, who was headed up by another Hartford legend, Jack Dollard, and uh, told them about my idea of having a kite festival in Bushnell Park. And Jack said, sure, how much money do you need? And at like, I was like baffled. <laughs> I was 16. I was like, I don't know, how's $500? <laughs> he said, sure. And then he gave me some staff, and, uh, and the first uh, kite day in Hartford was born. Uh, and from that, the Peace Train showed up to that event. And I m began to meet these people and this whole network of, uh, of a burgeoning and very vibrant arts community back in those days. Mm -hmm. um, 
So you mentioned uh, the, that uh, the fiddle uh, was a big attraction. Uh, there was that fiddle festival. Uh, but how did you go? How did Peace Train go from fiddle to breaking? So <laughs> by the time the 1980s rolled around, um, there was uh, the then director of the of Peace Train, the nonprofit, was a guy named Jack McNair, and I was the other staff member, full-time staff member as the program director. And Jack and I were looking for ways to make uh, Peace Train a little more reflective and relevant of Hartford. Um, it was one thing to be known for the fiddle contest, uh, which was a very popular mm-hmm. event. Um, and, and people outside of Hartford knew less about what we did in the neighborhoods. The people in the neighborhoods knew. Um, but we wanted to reflect those neighborhoods and what was going on. Uh, we were whiffing a cultural phenomena uh, taking place in New York. In the Bronx. Uh, in, in the Bronx, Brooklyn, but mm-hmm. also in, in various venues and getting exposure in some of the alternative arts venues in Manhattan. Um, and one of those was the Rock Steady Crew, a group of a crew of break dancers um, in New York, and they were getting written about in alt papers like the Village Voice. So we were we were sort of catching on to this phenomena, but were totally unaware for people who were out doing shows in in uh, you know Bellevue Square and Stowe Village and Charter Oak Terrace. We weren't seeing breakdancing going on. So it was like, well, is it not here? And so we sort of went out and did a little detective work, just got out and started asking people on the street, kids, if they knew about this. And you'd get some answers like, oh, yeah, I heard there was a crew that meets in the Anawan Street projects and blah, 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 you know, this kind of thing. And it wasn't until we walked into a uh, record shop in downtown Hartford called Disco Tape. And we said to the proprietor, the manager there, a guy named Rick Torres, um, what about breaking? Is it going on in Hartford? And he said, give me a minute. And he and uh, his uh, assistant pushed back a bin of records from the middle of the floor. Like, you know, you can imagine what that weighed. And p- dropped the needle on a record. And they both started breakdancing in front of us on the linoleum floor right there in the record shop. And I said, okay, so it is going on here. Did you, did you attempt to learn breaking uh, too? <laughs> you know, I think that lasted, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a very short minute. Um, and so. we keep saying breaking. It, it, um, most people, uh, especially in the media, we say break dancing. That's how that term became popular. But it's known as breaking. Yeah, mm-hmm. breaking. And then it's sort of the sister art to breaking is popping. Mm-hmm. Popping and locking, as it's mm-hmm. it's been known, and which is the more sort of robotic uh, body isolation, uh, body part isolation uh, kind of thing, and and sometimes there you'll have people who will do both, but often people specialize in one or the other um, of these because they really take a lot of of skill, and they're sort of a different. You know, Tang can talk to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe a different set of skills. One is a little more acrobatic, and the other is more dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, although those lines may be blurring nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring uh, Tang Sauce into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you weren't, weren't born probably back when uh, Peace Train was uh, getting uh, uh, getting its start. <laughs> but when we think about breaking, it's like a part of hip hop. So explain mm-hmm. that to us and then the specific moves in breaking. Right, right. So with breaking, it's part of hip hop. And there's four main elements of hip hop. You know, you've got um, MCing, that's rapping. 
we've got graffiti that's the uh the art element as far as visual art goes um then uh we've got uh breaking that we're uh talking about like right now and i th- i'm not i think i said djing i'm not sure if i said djing already but uh djing and uh all that together is uh hip-hop uh there's some people uh, you know say there's uh more elements but for the for the main part when we're talking about hip-hop we're talking about the core four elements and that's what those elements are um, what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry. I was just curious when we, when we think about uh, breaking again, being part of hip hop to describe mm-hmm. like the different, uh, Tim had mentioned, you know, certain t- parts of breaking, you really have to be flexible and acrobatic, but it start. how does it start? It starts with top rock? Right, right. <laughs> okay, I <laughs> got go you. Let's go all the way there. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So let's talk about the elements of breaking specifically. There we go. Okay. So we've got uh, there's a cut. There's elements. So the top rock, right? This is element number one. This is kind of the more uh, rhythmic, standing, beat catching stuff that we do before we get started. It's kind of like a warm up, if you would, right? But you know, you got to realize with this is that this isn't just random movement. All these things that we're doing are precise movements that are different things. It's not like the dancers are just going up there and just kind of bugging out like everybody has their own energy and some some people will kind of wild out a little bit but there are specific moves that they're doing as well right and then you've got footwork footwork is basically anything where your hands and feet are on the ground right so this is kind of like if you could think of like a crab walk like that could be a footwork move you know um so that's like six step 12 step uh uh, uh back rock uh, uh three step and three step kick and all these different variations you know six step of course then you've got power moves uh power moves is like the gymnastic high energy wild kind of crowd appeasing not even necessarily crowd appeasing but anything basically where your your feet are off the ground is like power moves so that's your flares your windmills your head spins your back spins your shoulder spins your air flares your 90s all these different types of moves which are all different moves uh, and i just want to point that out for people like all these different things that we're doing are specific particular moves and you have to get creative with it as well but they're all distinguished things right and then the last uh element that i'll touch on and break in here is uh freezes and that's basically any move where you're staying still for a second you know kind of like if you wanted to take a picture that's what you're free that you would most likely do a freeze in that instance so uh those are your elements right there. They're all they're all particular things. We but it takes a lot of creativity too because one thing in breaking that's big is biting. You cannot bite, and biting is basically copying someone's moves, <laughs> and, and it makes a lot of sense coming from where breaking comes from. Like you know, uh, communities that are uh, not in the best uh, economic place. They kind of you don't have a lot of things material. You know, so what do you have? You have your creativity. So if I make a move, that might be one of the only things that I have. So that means a lot to me. So you can't take that from me. I, I need that, you know, or or he or she needs that for them because that's something that's valuable. That That's something that came from them that showed them that they can do something in an environment where you may not have all those type of uh, you not you may not have that that feeling ever told to you like, yeah, you can do this. But now, you know that you can do this and you could be creative and you can make something dope out of something that came from the top of your mind or wherever your creative flow 
funnel comes from, you know? So that's breaking. No biting. <laughs> Creativity. <laughs> that's Tang Sauce in studio here on Where We Live. I want to go back to Tim Wolf, former manager of the Peace Train, breaking and popping all-stars. Uh, pick up on what uh, Tang was telling us about uh, creativity uh, in communities that didn't have um, a lot of opportunities. We saw that uh, in uh, New York uh, in the late 70s and 80s. And how did uh, breaking then, uh, you know, again, spread into Hartford, into these neighborhoods that you mentioned? A lot of it had to do with migration. Basically, uh, <clears throat> Hartford is close enough to New York. There's a lot of families with relatives and split families that, you know, may have like one parent living in the Bronx and the other is up in Hartford. And so kids would move sometimes between these two places. Um, and in a lot of the original kids that I came to know um, were in crews that learned their moves from their friends or who had moved here from New York. Or these kids had gone back to see family and checked out what their cousins and stuff were doing in, uh, in Queens or in Brooklyn or the Bronx and, and getting exposed to this. And so they would try it out here. And it took a little while. It took a few years for it really to get up here. But I mean, Kids were breaking it dancing in Hartford in, in the late 80s, uh, early 80s. I mean, I didn't just because I didn't become aware of it until like 82, 83 doesn't mean it wasn't going on here. And Peace Train was fortunate in that we were used to putting on shows, putting on concerts, production, that kind of thing. We could do that stuff in our sleep. And so we sort of came up with the idea of like, now that we know what's going on, let's give it some exposure. Let's have a break dancing concert, uh, not concert, contest. Mm -hmm. And we sort of scheduled it for Bushnell Park, plastered the hell out of the north and south ends of Hartford uh, on flyers on telephone poles to just spread the word. I mean, you didn't put something in the Hartford Current. It wasn't going to be seen, you know. So you had to sort of like do street-level publicity, and our phones started ringing. What were, the, what were the roles of the record shops in getting the word out? And spreading uh, this. Well, the record shops in those days were uh, – there weren't that many, but it they were in interesting locations. Uh, back in those days, you would have record departments in department stores in downtown Hartford. That's like hard for people to fathom, <laughs> first of all, that there was yeah, – aside from G. Fox's, and I'm not talking about the G. Fox record department, and they had one. But there were other record stores in more uh, budget-minded department stores in Hartford with record departments that were catering to the needs of their customers. And those customers were people who lived in the city who were asking for, do you have these Sugar Hill records, you know, by the Sugar Hill gang, Grandmaster Flash, Flash Melly Mel, you know, the early sort of pioneers. So this stuff started moving its way. So musically, it wasn't getting played on the radio. It was being played in the projects, at parties, um, at different block parties, community gatherings, someone's apartment, whatever. You can join our conversation as we talk about the history of breaking, uh, also known as breakdancing. Marissa's calling from Guilford. Marissa, go ahead. Hi. Thanks for letting me share my story. I grew up in New Haven and was hanging around in downtown New Haven in the 90s with my best friends, and we saw a man breakdancing. Um, and my friends and I just watched him and said, oh, we've got to add this to our repertoire. So we asked this man named Absalom if he could teach us breakdancing. And we started, you know, this group of 
us five white girls started meeting with him once a week in downtown New Haven, and he gave us breakdancing lessons for about a year, and we all went off to college and continued our breakdancing, and uh, and now as a 37-year-old woman, I still bust out every once in a while with like some uprocking and six-stepping, <laughs> and people are just blown away. Like, no one can believe that this is something I know how to do. So you were and, one of the uh, B-girls. <laughs> I was one of the B girls back in the nineties. And um to me it was it was like a real part of growing up in New Haven to have that opportunity. Well thank you, Marissa, for calling in to uh where we live. Uh Tang, when did uh B girls get acceptance in the breaking uh world, so to speak? Because it was primarily B boys that were doing it. Right, right, right. Always, you know, but things are starting to come to the forefront more like nowadays and um, B-girls are starting to get their well-deserved shine. Like there's this, uh, the main competition in Breakin' and um, is uh, called BC1, Red Bull BC1. And it used to just be pretty much male-dominated, you know. Um, And it's basically the top 16, you know, B-boys and B-girls from all around the world. You know, and uh, so what they did, I believe it was uh, just last year they started, they had a, a, se- a separate competition for the B-girls. And it's and it's so cool because you really get to see the B-girls sh- get their well-deserved shine, uh, which is uh, so cool because there's so, so much talent. And uh, I'm really glad to see it, you know. And uh, shout out to all the B-girls out there doing your thing because, you know. We love you. <laughs> uh, Tim, you again were former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars, this dance group based in Hartford in the 80s. This was an all-boy group? It was, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we really didn't see uh, any female participation in those days. It was uh, a pretty male-dominated thing. I will say, in uh, as far as the girls went, they dominated and ruled in Double Dutch. And Double Dutch was huge. Um I would say Double Dutch, without getting sort of the same kind of credit, uh, played as significant a role in uh, in kids in their physical health and social and cultural participation in something that was, I mean, even though it was it was uh, practiced, Double Dutch jump roping was practiced in non communities of color. In communities of color, it was played a really, uh, uh, I would say, a more vital role. And part of part of the support, in the same way that Peace Train was able to support as an organization, in, an organization that received funding from foundations and corporations to put on to do the things we did, uh, Double Dutch had uh, as its main sponsor, certainly in Connecticut, was United Technologies, who at the time was very involved in supporting uh, arts uh, programming and things like that. And so it's no small coincidence that because of the sport Double Dutch got in Connecticut that the world champion teams in the 80s were from Hartford. Um, So... So when we talk about the popularity of uh, breaking uh, back when you were managing uh, Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars, tell us some of the places the dance group performed and what was the reaction? Uh, well, the dance group, I should just go back and say from that first uh, contest we had in Bushnell Park where we had 20 crews uh, competing and 10,000 people showing up to watch them, which was mind-blowing in and of itself. 
uh, that, that there was that much sort of just grassroots support for the art form, uh, we recognized immediately uh, that these guys needed more of a platform, and that's when we formed the All-Stars. In fact, a few days after the breakdancing contest, which got this great exposure to these kids, we had them, uh, the winners, open up for the Alvin Haley Dance Company, which we were presenting in Bushnell Park uh, later that week. Um, from there, once we formed the All-Stars as a group of about four or five crews, including about 25 kids, um, boys, from age maybe 16 to eight, six to 18, um, we developed a program to do basically take them into schools, suburban schools, to do assemblies and lecture demos on hip-hop and break, breaking and popping. So I would alternate, you know, when we would use one crew or another so they weren't getting taken out of school all the time, but their parents in the schools were cool with it because it was giving them exposure to other students in other communities and going to other schools, and they were learning how to be presenters. And so let's say we would go to a, uh, an elementary school to do an assembly in Litchfield County. Um, these kids, we'd bring our own little portable sound system. We'd have our mixtape of uh, good beats and everything. And then we basically let the kids, the break dancers and the poppers themselves, present to those other kids, this is what we do. They demonstrate it, and then they'd invite kids to come up from the audience. And I'm sure Tang, you might have done one of these or two uh, in your day. But um, so we were doing this, and we did dozens and dozens of these. Um, and also, would would because we were getting known, we would get calls and get booked. We uh, the group performed at halftime at a Boston Celtics game in the Hartford Civic Center. We were featured in a Hartford Symphony Pops concert in the Bushnell where the kids came up uh, breaking and popping from a, a lift in the floor of the stage. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we did. I know you're having the Hartford Stage Company on later. We performed at the Stage Company. Mm. Oh, we did all sorts of things um, and, and traveled as far as New Hampshire uh, to perform. And so would so. you say Connecticut was seen as a trailblazer in spreading it, this? It was. Um, as best as I could tell, in those days, we were the only ones, we were the first statewide uh, con contest, breakdancing contest in the country. Um, and we did that in the following year, in 1984, and with regionals in New Haven, Waterbury, Bridgeport, and Hartford. So, yeah, we were, we were lighting a match. Tim Wolf is former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars. It's a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut in the 1980s. We're going to continue talking about breaking. We're going to hear more from Tang Sauce, John Mansell Young, who's a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip-hop artist, about the resurgence in breaking, how he got started. And we'll hear more from Hartford Stage, a really interesting uh, performance here uh, in Hartford. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about breaking uh, with uh, Tim Wolf, former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars. This is a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut back in the 1980s. And John Mansell Young, also known as Tank Sauce, a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip-hop artist. Um, if you break today, you could join our conversation. Uh, we were learning about a little bit of the history of breaking coming to Connecticut, influenced by New York, uh, Tang Sauce. Uh, when did you get uh, introduced to breaking, and where, when was the resurgence? When did it happen, the, the resurgence? Right. So I pretty much came in um, during the resurgence. Um, so I believe it was around 2004, uh, a movie called You Got Served came out, and that was a big phenomenon that really raised the awareness of breaking to uh, like my generation in a major way. So um, that's around 2004. Uh, you know, I'm in middle school. I, you know, this movie comes out and all my friends are breaking. And it was something that I heard about, you know, growing up. I had an older cousin and an older brother that were into hip hop, like during like what's called the golden era of hip hop, you know, during late 80s, 90s. And so they put me on to like breaking, but it was sort of something that I heard about, you know, and, and maybe I had maybe seen a video once of it on like MTV or something <laughs> like that. But it wasn't anything that I was super exposed to uh, till 2004 when this movie comes out and then we see people doing all types of crazy moves. People are doing like spinning on their head. They're doing flares. They're, 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 they're hitting beats and we're just like, yo, what is going on? You know, so we uh, we started trying it ourselves, just uh, trial and error. You know, we didn't have any teachers, you know, um, you know, we, we definitely uh, were getting in trouble for it a couple of times in school, you know, because we just had that passion. We didn't have like a place to go with it, you know. But um, so I, I hope that with uh, B-Boy and getting more exposure now that, uh, you know, things start to come around for like kids that are young and doing it now because uh, it's definitely something very athletic. But anyway, um, so that was around 2004 and that, that I got introduced to that. And it was super amazing. At the same time, the Internet was booming, too. Uh, so there was websites like you could check out like bboy.com back in the day. There was bboy world. Um, and, and, and they and, and, and uh, there was even bboy.org, which was a big thing back then. And, uh, you know, basically you could it, it, there wasn't too many videos on there, but you would see like a big battle is like freestyle session. That's one of the biggest battles uh, of the in the world every year. And um you would see like a clip, like a five minute clip, like 180p. <laughs> and it would take like five minutes to download to watch like a two minute video, you know, when you're using dial up or whatever. But you would watch that and you would just run it back a million times. and You'd be like, wow, this is really, really amazing. What did he even just do, you know? And um, so you had, you had to really watch out, uh, what was going on. And there would be forums so you could build your little profile. And things were just kind of developing, you know. But the Internet really helped in a major way to really bring a lot of consciousness to uh, to break in. And um, that was that wave right there, 2004. And there was some crew because, you know, things kind of slowed down, like, you know, near like late 90s, 2000s. Uh, but there was some crews that were like still doing it. Like I think like a shadow and earth was still doing it during that time out here in out of, out of Middletown. Um, a couple other crews, I think um, LOZ, um, 
a couple a couple different crews were still uh, lost unknown, doing the thing throughout it. And, uh, you know, much respect to those crews that were still doing the thing because uh, really because of them, like we're still doing it out here today. You Dang, know? do you mentor kids uh, today who are interested in breaking? And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, you know, we're hearing headlines that July is now uh, one of the most violent uh, months that the city of Hartford has seen in a long time. We look at the uh, how uh, hip hop and breaking uh, evolved uh, from New York City. It was a way for uh, some to escape or get a break from gang violence. And I'm just curious when you talk with youth that are interested in breaking, what do you hear from them today? Yeah, uh, today the youth, they're uh, just as curious as they always been, you know. They, they, they would definitely want to get down. And with the Internet as big as it is now, they definitely want to uh, – just really soak it all in and they definitely are and uh doing it in a major way this generation coming up i they have so much potential it's crazy right now so i'm super excited to see um and and, and, and i'm just glad that uh breaking we're, we're still around because uh, you like you're saying you know it, 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 there's so much not even just violence just like tough vibes to deal with going out but you see we're breaking you know people i'm not sure if it's because like we're close to the earth like kind of like how krs describes it like when you're doing a freeze a lot of time your head is literally on the ground and i think there's something very humbling in that you know you're on the same ground that people are walking you know coming from outside wherever their shoes were but you still i want to express myself in this way and i love it so much that i'm still no matter what going to put my head on the ground to do this freeze because this is my art, you know? And I think that's very humbling. So it comes with humble vibes a lot of time. I mean, there's a couple times, you know, with breaking with it, you'll have some people with like different egos and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, it, it, it's, it's very, very down to earth people. Um, and I think that's important for the kids to be around. And I think they kind of feel that, you know, before they even uh, get that knowledge, they'll just, they could, you could feel the energy coming off of it, you know? And, and so like when I'm, like dealing with the young kids I you know I you know I'm Mr. Peace Love and Positivity so I'm always going to put the peace love and positivity out there and just tell them just to keep doing it stay consistent you know uh don't give up you know just keep trying and and it's super cool too because like we're breaking like you'll look at it well a lot of people look at it I know I did before I got started like yo uh that move that that guy just did man that that's nothing I could do that right now and then you try it and you're like, oh, man, that wasn't easy because <laughs> you crash. Crash is when you uh, fall and break and you, you end up crashing. And you're like, dang, what the heck? I thought I could do that. And then, like, you know, you keep trying it for a year and then you're able to do it. But it gives you a lot of humility and respect for what you saw that other person just do because you really understand where they're coming from and, 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 what, and what it took to get to that level for that move that might have seemed like a flashy, easy move. It, it, it takes a lot of dedication and work. So I think the the kids, they're, they're, they're soaking that in. They're doing real good. And I just tell them to keep doing their thing because um, yeah, I remember when uh, the, the people that I looked up to when I was coming up, they would tell me the same thing, like just keep doing it, you know. And uh, and if you're a B-boy out there, just keep on giving advice to or a B-girl out there, just keep giving advice to the younger generation as you see fit. You know, use your experiences to help uh, enrich them because um, they're, they're, they're – uh, 
they're standing on our shoulders, but eventually we're going to have to use them to fall back on, you know, because they're going to be organizing the events. Eventually, they're uh, they're uh, eventually going to be on the top of the scene eventually. And, and that's going to be when we're kind of out of commission and we want to, you know, our future, our legacy is in their hands. So, you know, you got to treat them right and teach them the right elements and the right pieces of knowledge and the right gems in order to get them to the right spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. When your neck is too sore to, <laughs> to do <laughs> those right. fancy moves. Uh, speaking of, of youth, there's a really interesting summer program, which I believe you were involved in at one point, Tang Sauce. I wanted to bring into the conversation uh, Nina Pynchon, who's Associate Director of Education at Hartford Stage. Uh, Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, such a pleasure to be here. I understand that there are uh, young people at Hartford Stage uh, that are blending, breaking with Shakespeare. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, a program that's called Breakdancing Shakespeare. Uh, it's one of the neighborhood studios uh, programs uh, for the Greater Hartford Arts Council. So we're one of the their their studios for youth employment. Um, and every summer we bring in sort of fifteen teenagers and we work on a Shakespeare text uh, and we infuse that Shakespeare text uh, with hip hop and breaking. And so tell us, um, this is more than just a, a summer camp where uh, kids are involved with something. I mean, they're getting paid uh, to uh, perform and to learn uh, the lines and the moves? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, part of the idea is that uh, you can sort of level the playing field for for uh, young people uh, so that uh you know, some 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 young people can afford to be spending their summer in a paid training program for dance or for acting. Uh, this is a paid job, and for many of our apprentices, it's their first paying paid job. Uh, but they are here with us doing the the work of dancing uh, most of the day every day, and uh, and acting most of the day every day. Uh, so it, they they really do earn their their. Uh, their stipend every week. Uh, Nina Pynchon, thank you for uh, telling us about it here on Where We Live. Uh, Tang, what do you remember about uh, being involved with the breakdancing Shakespeare? Man, one of the, one of the most uh, great experiences of my young teenage life, for sure. Um, wow, I, I remember just, you know, we, 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 I was in school and my friend had done the program the previous year, which was the first year, which was Romeo and Juliet. And then my year was Midsummer's Night's Dream. And I say, okay, you know what? We're going to get paid to to go break like whatever like let's go do it i gotta go to harvard what do i gotta do you know because we're yeah we was young and broke but whatever um so yeah so we get down there and they say okay so this is what the audition consists of uh we're gonna act you to act just like whatever like you know just kind of do your thing you know and then break okay so obviously i got down on the breaking part you know and then uh because i had been doing it for a little while and then you know the acting part comes around and you're like Okay, whatever, like whatever you guys want me to do. <laughs> it's called break into Shakespeare, whatever. So, you know, you do the acting part and then, you know, you're just like, okay, I, I guess that was cool. Now on to the next part of my day. <laughs> and and then you get a call back. You're like, oh, dang, a call back. Did I mess up? Was that bad? <laughs> and you're like, okay, whatever. We'll do the call back. And then you're reading some extra lines. I'm like, oh, okay, dang. I, I, don't, what, I hope I didn't do anything wrong. So then, you know, you... You get uh, you get a call a couple weeks later that you get the, like the one of the leading roles of, of like Oberon in this play, and like I, you know for me I always knew like I kind of had like a little grip on like the English language, but I didn't really have an outlet a little, for come it. Come on, Tang, yeah. give yourself some credit. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little something, something, you know. So uh, yeah, so 
that what that did for me was provide an outlet for me that I would have never thought of. I, and I've continued to act in, in various productions. Um, and I love I love acting. And I don't I don't know if I would have ever really touched upon it if it wasn't for Breakdance and Shakespeare because it, 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 it exposed me to it in a new way. And I loved it so much because it was so diverse. Like I was a kid coming from Manchester, pretty diverse school. But um, I got to be around people that were doing things different than me, like again, in a different way. Because these are kids like you're exposed to kids like that are going to the academy that like want to become like actors and dancers like full time. And, you know, it's kind of different because you're in a regular high school. It's like a bunch of different people that want to do a bunch of different things, you know. But to see somebody that was like specifically like in the art for the art for like this is what they want to do at my age was like, oh, man, this is cool. And they're coming from like different like backgrounds, you know, like ethnically. And, and and probably economically so like it was just super cool to be around them and i think that's probably one of the most important programs that's like around that i've ever seen like in the arts period it's just it's such a such a great experience and then you get to you learn about like having to execute things like on point i mean outside of the battle of course in the battle you got you have to execute but in another you're exercising different muscles you know you the, uh, the shakespearean if you would, muscle, and you're learning about these different things. Well, Tang, we're almost out of time. I mm-hmm. wanted to go back to Tim Wolf. Uh, Tim, you've seen uh, the beginning of Breaking and, and now the evolution. I mean, what's your reaction to uh, how you've seen it uh, change? Oh, I'd love to see the resurgence. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a little lull there for a decade or so, it felt like, um, especially as far as the dance goes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was happening, though, was the whole rap scene was, was exploding and mm-hmm. becoming an international you know, commercial success and phenomena and the talent that's that's around is especially in, in Hartford and Connecticut. It mm. gets overlooked a lot, but it's right here. It's right under people's noses. And we'll have to leave it there. Thanks to Tim Wolf, former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All Stars, a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut in the nineteen eighties. And to Hartford based hip hop artist John Mansell Young, aka Tank Sauce. Tank Sauce recently joined B-Girl Jen Lazandro, a.k.a. Genuine at Connecticut Public, to demonstrate some breaking moves. Visit WMPR.org slash where we live to watch the video we made of the dancers. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. A quick note, on Mondays where we live, we sit down with Yukon President Thomas Katsuleas. We hope you join us for that conversation. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Special thanks to our technical producer, Kion Wolf. Have a great weekend.